Thank you for listening to the Convergence House of Prayer podcast. Please enjoy this message by guest speaker, Pastor Pancho Morguia. Well, we have an amazing treat today. We have Pancho and Jesus with us, and they're from Mexico. Uh, I tried, I just, and, and uh, if you read Ed's book, uh, you know, and Pancho could share a little bit later, in, in a moment he'll share, just about the, the transformation God is doing in, the, in Mexico, and, and we are super excited to have connected with these guys. We just came uh, from our Transform Our World Summit in San Jose. Some of you were over checking out Heidi Baker this weekend, which is amazing. We had these two amazing events taking place, and um, I wish I could just, you know, sometimes you feel like you could just somehow be at both at the same time. And so, uh, but Poncho's with us, and he's going to share a little bit about what God's doing uh, in Mexico and just encourage us and just release an impartation of the ecclesia that the Lord is doing all over the world, you guys. This is, uh, we're just living in amazing times, and I'm thrilled about that. The other thing, too, is at the end, we're going to take an offering for, the, for, for them. And then I asked him if we, if we have time, if he can just lay hands on Wendy and I and pray for us, because we're going to go to the Philippines tonight. And we're taking off. We're leaving at 10.50. We'll be there. We're going to be speaking to uh, 81. There's 81 provinces, pastors over each one of those provinces. And they're all coming to Manila. And we're going to preach and share and teach Ecclesia uh, with, these, with these pastors and leaders. And who knows what's going to happen, right? And uh, I feel like we're kind of like discipling a nation a little bit, just partnering partnering with, and then Ed's going in March, and then Ken Gott's going in June, and it's like the Philippines is getting blasted by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, and, you know, so we're we're thrilled to, so I just feel like this these guys are just, I feel like we're standing, I'm standing here, not you guys, me and Wendy, and then Poncho, these, they're like way over like there, and what God's doing, and how God's like changing cities, and so to have them here with us is such a treat. And uh, so I just want to introduce Poncho as he comes. You guys want to honor him as he ministers this morning. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> gracias. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I am on? Yeah? Okay. Muchas gracias. <laughs> well, it is our honor and privilege to be here since Greg invited us. Uh, since last year, uh, we've been praying and we've been uh, uh, asking God to have a wonderful time. And what we have experienced a few minutes ago, it was amazing. <laughs> I mean, God was here. I feel right at home because our dad is also here. <laughs> so thank you very much. I'm going to share not my story, but his story. Because uh, one of the things uh, as I'm going to be sharing, I'm going to be sharing two things. Two sides about that story. One, it's a happy, it's a glorious, it's an amazing story, which is his story. The other side of the story is my story, which is not that happy. A <laughs> lot, <laughs> lot of repentance, a lot of, <laughs> of things that, oh, I, I, I missed it again. And, uh, but we learn. We learn. And I hope this bring, is going to bring hope. It's going to bring, uh, it's going to inspire you. Because what God did in my city, in his story, uh, he didn't despise us. He did it with us, <laughs> but despised us. So I was in my, in my I, 
I, by this time, I, I've been pastoring a church for 29 years. I started when, when we were 18. We were not even married. And uh, I started pastoring a church, and, and uh, we were persecuted because this is in the early 70s, 1973, when less than 1% of the population uh, was Christian, was evangelical. 99% was Catholic. And in Latin America and Mexico, it's a difficult uh, situation. So, so we were persecuted on that. But after 29 years... Uh, I was living the pastor's dream. We started from nothing. We started in a park. We met for five years in a park, uh, just teenagers. Uh, I was pastoring since that age. And uh, 29 years later, I said, I'm arrived. I'm a pastor. <laughs> we had a, 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 brand new, a, a brand new building. Uh, we, we bought it, and it cost us about $3 million. We paid for it. And, and we had a grammar school. We had a pastor's college. Uh, we were training pastors. We were planting churches in Mexico, in the United States. We were becoming more and more involved in a lot of ministries and all that. But that was my story. And one day, all of a sudden, God just said, in, 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 <laughs> in, in uh, one Monday, I promised my wife that I was going to paint one of my daughter's bedroom. And I don't know if that happens here, but in Mexico it's very frequently. We men make so many promises to that we fulfill about six months later or something like that. I don't know if it happens here, but six months later I said, okay, I'm going to do it. This time I'm going to do it. So I took off Monday and I went to buy the, buy the paint and, and I came to the room of my, my daughters and moved the furniture and started doing this with the paint. And all of a sudden God speaks to me. And he says, Poncho, and said, yes, Lord. He said, I want to ask you something. I said, yes, look, go ahead. And then he says, I want you to leave everything. I said, oh, I'm not going to paint my, my children. <laughs> no, he wasn't talking about that. He was actually asking me to leave the ministry. So when I heard that, I knew in my heart, that's what he was telling me to do, leave everything. And I remember that I just did it faster, and then I started. <laughs> so I, I had to stop everything. I went to my room, close the doors, and spend three hours uh, discussing, <laughs> giving him all the reasons why he shouldn't be asking me to leave everything. Lord, you used me. You choose me when I was 18 years old. I started preaching the gospel the next day. I, 15 people converted. We started a meeting Sunday service and in my own home, and then we grew from to 500 to, to what to 50 to 100 to 200, and 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 we have this, and 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 we're fulfilling the dream, and and we're doing what you ask us to do, and you're asking me to to leave. Lord, this is my church. We have invested so much time. We have suffered. We have been doing this. We have been doing that. It hasn't been easy. We've been obedient. You cannot ask me to leave everything. You're, you're, you're asking me to turn my heart in two parts. Because I love these people. I've been serving them. They, they already have getting married. They have coming. They bring the children. We're presenting the children to you. You're like tearing me up, an arm out of my body. And, and, and so I complain about two and a half hours. You know how you talk to God and you said, Lord, you cannot do that. And you explain him the situation, right? As he wouldn't know. That's our story. Because uh, I felt that since I was the founder, pastor, 29 years, we were there. We were ready to do whatever we wanted to do. I was going to die in that congregation. But you know what? One of the lessons we learn is who told me that? 
It's tradition, it's history, it sounds the right thing to do. But I made the mistake not asking the Holy Spirit, do you want me to die here? And I assumed that that was his will. So, uh, so I was complaining, I was giving him all these <laughs> uh, reasons why he could not do that. And then he said, let me ask you a question. God speaks to me a lot with questions. Uh, and he said, the Lord said, let me ask you just one question. Whose church is it? When, when he said that, I came to my knees, I cried, I repented. I said, Lord, Lord, it is your church. It is my, it's not my church. You can fire me. You can do whatever you want to do with me. It is your church. And I, and I asked for forgiveness. I was with my head in the floor asking for forgiveness. So I said, Lord, I'll obey you. I leave everything. What do you want me to do? And then he, the Lord said, I'll tell you later. <laughs> well, that's no fun. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I haven't this encounter. I, I didn't ask anything. Okay, Lord, whatever you say, I'm yours. But I can, ask, can I ask you a favor? And the Lord said, sure. Can you talk to my wife? Because how can I tell my wife? <laughs> I am the one, I'm one of those who believe that our wives pay a higher price than us. Because we do carry the burden, but they carry the burden plus us. <laughs> and that's not an easy task. <laughs> and uh, I said, how can I tell her that? So, so I came out. By this time, my wife, Helus, would come in and go in and see the empty paint. And she was like, I guess it's not going to happen today. <laughs> so I called her, take it to the bedroom, sitting on the bed, and I said, put some pillows around her. And uh, <laughs> you never know, right? It, she's a very mature person, but ladies feel things different than us. They're more deep. Uh, and, and if you talk about love, they are the masters. I mean, uh, so, so I don't know how to tell her. I'm going this way, this way, this way, this way. Finally, I became a match, and I said, well, the Lord just asked me. I know it is his will. And he's asking me, asking us to leave the ministry. And I'm looking at her face, and I see, I remember, the left eye gets a little water, and then one tear comes down. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> and then she opens her beautiful mouth, and he says, Poncho, the Lord spoke to me three years ago that he was going to ask you this. He asked me to pray for you, not to tell you anything. So by the time he will call you, you will be ready. My husband, wherever the Lord leads, I'll follow you. That is a wife. That is a suitable helper. <laughs> and I would like to introduce my wife. This is my wife, Helus. <laughs> yes. What will we do without our wives and without our precious ladies? My, uh, my, my understanding and respect for any lady in the world just because you're so precious. You, you, you have something that we don't have. You have this maternal love that we cannot experience. Uh, one of my difficulties that I had when my wife was pregnant uh, is that she felt the baby move and I, I put the hand and she, would move. <laughs> I would open her mouth and say, hey, there, is there somebody there? <laughs> she would feel it every day. We men cannot do that, cannot feel that. It's a gift from God, and, and that makes you so special. And when you pray, that's dangerous to, to hell itself. <laughs> so 
two thoughts came into my mind. The first one is, I don't deserve this beautiful lady. I don't deserve her. The second thought was actually a question was, Lord, three years? Come on, three years? Not three hours, not three days, not three weeks. Three years? Am I that hard-headed? And then I would say, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we have a wife. <laughs> so we talked to our children, and we said, this is what God is saying. We have six children, beautiful children. And they said, mom, dad, whatever the Lord says, we'll follow you. We went to talk to the pastoral team. It wasn't easy because the founding pastor, the leading pastor, was leaving everything. Everything was okay. We were doing great. And it was just... So three months later, we have a special service, say goodbye to the congregation and just leave. And then, what are you doing? So what we did, it's uh, basically... We just pray. <laughs> we pray, God, <laughs> what do you want to do? And, and of course, I, I, I asked the, the, the congregation not to follow me because I didn't know where I was going. I love that congregation, still love that congregation. And only seven people decided to follow me wherever I went. I, I closed the door on there. I, <laughs> I told them to go back. They wouldn't. <laughs> so I had to work with them later. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but the congregation was doing fine. So... Then I'm praying, and the Lord says, I'm going to ask you one thing. I want you to, to, to fast for 21 days. And so when I heard that you are fasting, I was yeah, this is my kind of people. So, <laughs> so he said, 21 days. And then, and then I said, okay, look, I'll, I'll fast. I love fasting. I have spent so many experiences with God when I fast. And, and I have fasted for one hour, for two days, for three days. I have fasted for 40 days, three times in my life, just water. And, and amazing, amazing times. And uh, so he said, I wanted to fast for 10 minutes. Let's do it. I'm ready. Uh, but he said, but now I want to ask you one thing. You're going to fast for the city. And I'm going like, what? I never fasted for the city. I fasted for my life, for our marriage, for our family, our ministry, this project. This is what we're doing here. This is what we're doing that for, for my city. What is that? And then I said, okay, this is the first time in my life, 29 years after God saved me. And I said, and then the Lord said the next thing, I want you to not only fast for your city, but I want you to do it in a public park. I have never, ever done anything like that. So I talked to my wife. She, as always, she supports me. And I talked to the pastors alliance in the city. I said, this is what God is asking me to do. I need your support. All of them say, let's do it. So the next day I put a tent in the park. And uh, I scheduled about 12 to 14 hours to pray for the city. And um, I slept there in the park. And uh, I just did it. I, I, I made the schedule so I can be thinking of the last day after not having any food. And I started to pray. And, uh, and I was there. A few, when I, the first minute, I said, okay, 21 day fast for the city. And I was blank. How do you fast for the city? Do you fast for the lights to work fine, and, and they, <laughs> they fix the cement in the sidewalks or whatever. I didn't have a clue, so I, so I had to go back to, to the basics. I had to take my Bible and say, what is a city? Why would God ask me to fast for my city? You see, it's, it's funny because we've been working in the city, but I wasn't aware of the city. One of the things that God revealed to me is that I didn't love my city. I didn't hate it. But I, I, I wasn't doing it out of love for my city. So 
started going to the Bible, started discovering amazing, amazing facts about cities. And uh, I think we, we don't have a theology of cities. I think we need to go back and study a little bit. Because, you know, at the end, we're not going to live in heaven. We're going to live in a city. <laughs> the New Jerusalem. And it's going to be an amazing city. The Lord says to the disciples when he was being raised up, said, don't leave the city. Two days ago, one of our brothers was saying, you know, the Lord says that we are the light of the world. Next thing, it says, a city on a hill. And I said, wow, I never had seen that connection. Light of the world, a city. Our job and part of our ministry, that's what the ecclesia is. It has to do with the city. So anyway, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm learning this. And a, and a few days later, there's a, 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 a reporter from the newspaper. And he comes and he says hi. And he says, can I interview you? And I thought, I wasn't counting on this because we, we never announced it or anything. We just, I just obeyed. And I said, yeah, sure. And he says, okay, I want to know, why are you hunger striking? Who are you mad against? What are, what are your petitions? What are your, your demands? They don't know. We're going to put it in the newspaper, and we're going to make a, a, a big fuss about it. And I thought, well, he wants to sell newspaper. That's what he wants, right? <laughs> so I said, wait, 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 wait. I said, I'm not hunger striking. I'm not mad against anybody. I'm not... I don't have a petition. I'm just learning and understanding my city so I can pray to the Lord so he can bless the city. And actually, I remember the scene. I was, I was there. He was right in front of me. He went like this. He said, uh, that wouldn't sell. And she left. <laughs> that was the interview. So then I said, okay, that's weird. <laughs> Next day, he comes back. He talked to his boss, and he said, I went to visit this guy that I supposed he was hunger striking, but he's not doing that. He's not mad. He's not doing anything against anybody. He just wants for God to bless the city. And he said, he said, it's actually a madman. I don't know what, what the deal is. So his boss says, yeah, there's always a crazy one for something different every day, right? So he says, so what do you want me to do, boss? And he says, well, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go every day. You're going to ask him what God is saying to the city, and we're going to put it in the newspaper. <laughs> so he would come and say, Pastor, Later, he started calling me pastor. Later, of course, he came to the Lord. He was saved. But, but he said, Pastor, so what God is saying to the city? <laughs> and, and I would share what God is saying to the city, and he would put it in the newspaper. So uh, because of that, other media came, TV, radio, other newspapers. And all of a sudden, the whole city knew that there was a crazy man that was not mad, that was not hungry, <laughs> that, that wanted to, for the city to do better. I didn't use the word bless. Because people don't understand it, but I just said, I just want to ask God for what is to be a better city. So we all can live in peace and start talking about, you know, kingdom principles. And, uh, and people started coming. Prostitutes. The, the first one that started coming to be prayed for uh, were the most needy people. Then other kind of people. And then business people. Lawyers and liars. Sometimes I couldn't <laughs> understand the difference. <laughs> No, no, they are good lawyers, okay? <laughs> they are good lawyers. And, 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 and actually, people from the government started coming. I live in Juarez, which we are at the border with El Paso, Texas. And the capital is Chihuahua City. Chihuahua is the name of the state, too. And uh, you had to drive three and, a half, half, three and a half hours. So people from the state government would drive, come to the park, so I would be praying for them. And all of a sudden, I started feeling the city through the people and their needs. And it was an amazing experience. It helped me to understand that even though the cities need solutions, 
The cities are made of people. And if you don't have in your heart the hurt of the people, what the people need from this guy to this guy, it is not so wise to bring solutions if you don't understand that. So it was a whole process. When, when we finished the 21-day fast, uh, there were about 4,000 people there together just praying for the city. So I'm out of the fasting, and I'm at home. I don't have a job. <laughs> God fired me. <laughs> I learned to love my city, and then all of a sudden I receive a phone call. And the phone call, uh, the mayor of the city just calls me, and then he says, can you help me to clean the prison? And I'm going like, did I put an advertising newspaper that I can please or Where did that come from? So, so I go to his office and he says, uh, the prison of Juarez, we call Cerezo. Uh, it's uh, one of the worst prisons in Mexico. And it is a shame and it's bad and I want you to help me. And I'm going, okay, let's do it. I'll help you. So he said, okay, so present me a plan and we'll do it. I said, we'll do it. High five. Went to my office, Google, how do you take prisons? <laughs> Couldn't find anything. <laughs> no, but I didn't do that, but I, I went to my niece, and that's, that's, that's some of the lessons. Talk to God, because that's his story. And we're here, and sometimes we think that this is our story. You say, maybe you have a personal story, you have a family story, you have a city story, you have a national story. The nations have stories, and maybe you have the history of the world, but all of those stories are submitted to the greatest and more amazing story, which is the one God has in his agenda. And that story started with God from eternity, and it's going to end never in eternity. So our challenge is we need to, by faith, by reading the Bible, by prayer, say, God, I want to live your story. I want to be part of your story. If my story serves you in any way, I want to be there. When you get there, it's so amazing. It's an adventure. It's, it's God's story. <laughs> and things that are not supposed to happen, happen. <laughs> and, 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 and you get to a place where, where it is amazing. You, you, you get more and more and more and more and more in love with God, with Jesus. And you praise him more and more and more and more. And you're more and more and more surprised because, <laughs> because uh, he is amazing. He is incredible. So the Lord gave me, gives me a strategy. I talked to the mayor and I said, you have to give me the chief of police and the chief of internal affairs. We need to work on a plan. And the only way we can change and clean the prison is by taking it away from the cartel. Because 80% of the crimes were planned in that prison, as usually in most of the prisons of the world. And uh, 93% of the, of, the, of the inmates were using drugs every single day. The 60% of the, of the guards were selling the drugs. It was a self-contained and self-administered prison by the, by the cartel. There, was, there were prostitutions, there were, there were parties, there were mariachis, there were... I mean, there were even restaurants inside of the prison. Because this prison had 200% uh, more people that it can afford, and, and they could not feed them. So what they did is they opened it to have businesses. So they had restaurants, and if you had... We, at that time, there was about 2,000 uh, inmates. And every, any day of the day, especially on weekends, you can have 1,000, 2,000 people coming to visit the, peop the, the people in prison. But by people, I mean people. Not only the family, the children, uh, but the gangs and the drug lords. And, and, and it would be a good party. And, and uh, they, would, they were doing, about, uh, we estimated, 
about a profit of 100000 dollars to $20,000 uh, $20, a month profit. Because they would sell drugs. You can find better quality drugs inside of the prison, and you can have better price inside of the prison. I've been ministering to drug addicts and prostitutes and people from the streets and, and, and uh, prisoners and ex-prisoners and, and that for more than 30 years. We have rehabilitated more than 10,000 in Juarez. So I knew a lot of these people. So I would come in and I would see these people who are using drugs coming into the prison. And I'd say, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm coming to buy drugs. <laughs> so people would come with money in their pockets. We'd go into the prison, we'd buy the drugs, and then come out with drugs in their pockets. So you don't touch these people. This, this, is, this was like the headquarters. So I talked to the, to the mayor. I said, we need to have a strategy to take the, take the prison by surprise. And this is going to be so very dangerous. And if you don't back me up, I'm dead. So I need your word that you're going to go all the way through. And they said, yes. So we did a, a, an intel program for three, for three months. And then one Sunday at midnight, uh, nobody knew because only the, the mayor of the city the chief of police, the president, the, the chief of internal affairs, and myself knew what was going on. Not even my wife knew. Because that, we made a promise that we are not going to tell anybody because this is so dangerous. If they know what we're trying to do, we're going to be dead, period. So three months later, uh, we have a war room. The mayor calls the general of the army, the chief of the federal police, the chief of the state police, the chief of the local police, and then uh, the chief of the transit police, and he says uh, to each one of them, assign them a number, which we strategize. Like, uh, like the, the local chief police, he had to come with 450 uh, uh, policemen. Uh, the, federal the federal police was 80. The army had about 150 soldiers. And the transit police, uh, we were talking about 10 uh, patrols and all that. So, so we, we're in the war room. I come in. This is about 11 at night. We spent about close to a half an hour uh, in a meeting. And I just said, this is what we're going to do. By the authority of the mayor, which that's his story, but the real story is by the authority of the Lord who put the mayor there, <laughs> which is Jesus Christ. I didn't say that, but that's how we function. So I said, by the authority of the mayor, he has instructed us to do an operation right now in a few minutes by surprise and we're going to take the prison away from the cartel. So this is the, this is the program. First of all, the chief of transit police, you're going to come with, your, with the patrol cars, you're going to close the streets around the, around the prison, and you're, gonna, you're not going to let anybody drive to or close to the prison. The general of the army said, General, what you need to do is take your, 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 the soldiers, surround the prison, because there's a thousand inmates that have the keys of their own cells. They can come in and out wherever they want. And maybe they, if they find out they want to try to get a 1,000 people just out of jail, and your job is to be surrounding the prison and stop them. You cannot be inside the prison because it's against the law. The federal police have said, you're going to put 40 men in this door and 40 men in this other door because those are the weak spots where people can come out. So your job is not to, not to let them happen. And then I talked to the, to the chief of police, and I said, we got, I'm going to open the doors. There's 13 buildings. We have the buildings there. You have to set your men and go to each one of the buildings two three-story high buildings, get everybody out, put the coffin in their, in their back, uh, put him in the floor, and then we're going to take over control. Then we're going to arrest the, the, the guards who have been doing this. We're going to put him in another prison. They're going to be sent another place. And we have replacements that we're going to cover that. Any questions? <laughs> and and this, all of them, they say, no, sir, that's, 
Let's click. At what time do we start? And I'm going like, wow. If the church would respond to us, pastors like that. (laughs) 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 You see, these people are trained to obey orders. They don't ask questions. I'm not talking this about the church, but but (laughs) maybe we need to adjust some things there. But (laughs) because the authority is on the Bible and the Word of God, right? Uh, This is delegated authority. But anyway, um, I was I was wow, Uh, this is amazing. So I go to the to the house of the warden, which we hired him, a Christian from our congregation, and put him in as the warden of the prison. I go to pick up, to, pick up him at his home. He didn't know what was going on. I said, I said, his name is Juan. He said, Juan, we need to go to the prison right away because we're going to take the prison by surprise with the police and the army and all this. And I'm going like, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, don't worry about it. It's his story. We're just obeying. So we go to the, to the prison. The prison, it's a, it's a little bit above the street. And I, I'm standing right in front of those doors right in the middle. And I take my phone and I... Talk to the chief of police who is at the boardroom with all these people. And I said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's take this prison to Christ. Wow. And I'm standing there, and then I see the patrol cars surrounding the prison. I see the army, you know, coming with the, with the jeeps and all that surrounding the prison. And then I see the, the federal police getting to the doors that we designed. And then the 450, so they, they, they just come. We open the door. They distribute all over the 13 buildings. And within eight hours, we took over the prison. But when I was there, I was feeling like I was in a movie. <laughs> it was like, and, and then my thought was, what am I doing here? I'm a pastor. <laughs> I didn't read the small letters. <laughs> but you know, we were understanding the call of the ecclesia. I wasn't understanding that. Uh, it was happening. But I wasn't understanding the authority that we have. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill. And uh, so this is happening. This is about uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, and my wife is at home. I talked to her at the, the night before, and I said, honey, I have to do something. I'm going to take me a while, so I'll, be, I'll see you tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm not going to come to sleep. And my wife is such a person that she doesn't question me. She doesn't... Uh, Brag, nag, that's the word. She doesn't nag. She's not saying, oh, there you go again. She said, let's do it. Uh, and she prays. She knows, she understands. She's submitted not to me, to his story. And she's part of it. And uh, so my, my wife is at home. He said in, in the morning, my mom calls. And my mom says, hey, Luz, where, where is Poncho? And he said, I don't know. He, he, had, he had to do some work. And, and, uh, and uh, he said that he was going to come uh, I expect him to come soon. I said, can you turn on the TV? <laughs> so my wife turned on the TV, and then I'm going taking over the prison. <laughs> I don't know. It was in the news. My mom saw it, and she called home. And, <laughs> and my wife didn't know anything until that moment. Of course, I came later and explained. And uh, so the, the, the prison, which was, uh, and, I, and I'm going to skip all the information, but <laughs> I just gave. Uh, right now, the prison is one of the best prisons. It actually is out of the 400 prisons. It was the 398, now we are in the fifth place of the best prisons in Mexico. (laughs) Another lesson, as as the Ecclesia, our call is to transform the world. And by transforming the world, we mean transform the industry, commerce, education, government. 
And, and we don't have to do the whole thing. We just need to obey God, whatever he calls us to do. And when you add the ecclesia working like ants all over the place, then you can see the results. And uh, the, this, this place became the safest place in town. Uh, it was in the, in the new national news. Uh, the United Nations knew about it. They sent a team from the United Nations to Juarez. They studied the whole case, and at the end, they made a report saying a prison can be changed in one day. That, that sounds familiar. <laughs> the only thing that the report doesn't say is that it was by the grace and glory and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that, but we know that is his story. So a few years passed by, and all of a sudden, uh, we went into a, a, a period of extreme, wild, crazy, demonic violence in the city. And, and, and through that stage, um, I, because the Lord gave us a word, and the word was, as it happened to the city, to the prison, it's going to happen to the, to the city. And we said, great, God is going to do an amazing thing. But as the prison was the worst prison, one of the worst prisons in Mexico, first Juarez had to be qualified as one of the worst cities. Actually, it was declared the worst city in the whole world. And that happened a few years after we took over the prison. And, uh, and, and uh, there was a, all of a sudden, uh, people decided to kill other people because they were fighting, two gangs were fighting for the city, two cartels actually fighting for the city. And this cartel was killing the heads of this cartel and this one, this, uh, the other one. It started like that. And uh, I remember the first one was in a, in a friend of mine's restaurant a nice Italian-Mexican restaurant. There were four people eating, and all of a sudden, a car stopped by. Four or five people came down from the car, came into the restaurant in front of everybody with machine guns. They just put 40 bullets to each one of them. They were dead blood all over the place. It was in the news like that. Five seconds later, it was all over the place. Everybody was saying, what's going on? What's happening? Because the only image that we had of something like that, it was through the Al Capone movies. What do we say? 60 years ago, something like that? Now it's happening in my city. It's happening in our city. And, and, and the, the funny thing is that the way we reacted, I'm included, uh, we, we, we were amazed, we were surprised, we were saying, what, what's happening? But inside, you want to think, okay, this is an unusual event. It's not going to happen again. It's going to go away. Let's keep on living and let's keep on doing what we do. Well, the next day, it happened again. Right in front of another restaurant, there was a couple coming out of the restaurant, a car stood by, and I mean, you're talking hundreds of bullets per second. It was in the news. Everybody thought, this is crazy. This is, we have never, ever seen anything like that. Juarez was a booming city for 30 years. Uh, we have a, a larger economy that four nations in Central America together. We had zero unemployment. I mean, was enough money for everybody, it was a booming city for 30, 40 years, and all of a sudden this happens. And, and, and you think the same thing, it's going to go away, it's not going to happen again, and then the next day it happened again. And then again. And then again. And then I just one, two, and then three, and then four, and then five, and then six, and then seven, 12, 15. We had days that we, they were 17 to 25 people murdered. And it happened every single day. Just to give you an idea, we were having 320 murders per month. Chicago is the most violent city in the U.S. right now. 
and they're coming closer to the 600 in the whole year. In two months, we had that. In Chicago, it's, I think it's about five to eight million people. I don't know how, what is this, a million and a half. It was crazy. It was mad. And, and, and uh, everybody reacted different. Um, the, the, the situation was so bad that just give, me, give you some, some statistics. Uh, 15,000 orphans. We estimate that 50,000 kids lose their mom or dad in this way, by, by assassination. Uh, we estimate that 60% of these kids were present when they killed mom and dad or both. They were killing people inside of the homes. They were killing people anywhere you can think of. Because the two cartels were fighting against each other, then they hired sicarios. Sicarios are the professional assassins that do this, but they're professional. But then this cartel hired a gang. It's called Los Aztecas. We, I've been working for more than 25 years with this gang. This is a 10,000-member gang. And they hired these guys, which is young people, that used to have a knife, maybe a 22 caliber, maybe 38 caliber. All of a sudden, they hired them. They don't train them. They gave them AK-47 machine guns, automatic machine guns, and they sent them to kill this other cartel. Well, this other cartel hires two gangs, the Mexicles, which we've been working with them too, and then the double ace. The double ace is the artistic assassin. These guys have the idea that when they kill somebody, they do it artistically. And if they start with that, with, a, with a, a dagger or something like that, after you're dead or while you're dying, they draw a, a figure in your back, in your front, or whatever. If they kill you with a bullet, they put bullets and they kind of make something artistic. This is how mad and how diabolic the, the devil can do when, when you don't know Jesus. So, so, so we have this, and then the, the, the president of Mexico sends 12,000 troops to the city. So all of a sudden, we have, we've seen soldiers all over the place with tanks and this and that, stopping cars and doing this and doing that. If they could not solve the problem, then he sends around six to 8,000 federal police. It got worse. The consequence was not only the people who were dead, but we had about 4,000, 40,000 families affected directly by the deaths that happened during those years. We had 300,000 people left the city. This is a city of a million and a half, 300,000. 20% of the population just left. Uh, some of them left the same day that they were, that they were uh, uh, threatened, because when the cartels started doing that, the army came. Then the federal police, the business of the drug dealers went so low that they needed money to support their soldiers to fight the war. So what did they do? They came against us, the community, and they started kidnapping people. They started uh, asking for money so you can open your business. And in fact, according to the numbers, 30% uh, of the business closed because of that. 30% of the whole city business closed. Not only that, but 30% of the businesses were paying protection. You will receive a call. A friend of mine called me and said, Poncho, I received the call. And, uh, and, and she said, so he said, what, what can I do? I said, well, if you have the money, I said, the first thing you need to do is to negotiate to lower the price as much as you can. If you can pay, pay until I don't know when, but God has to get involved because the army cannot do it, the federal police cannot do it, the state police cannot do it, the government cannot do it, nobody can do it this. If you don't have the money, take your things right now and get out of town. And some people, that's what they did. A lot of people just went to, they, they received the call, they hang up, went to their, to their wives, pack up whatever they could, and left. 
So now we have 120,000 empty homes all over the place, which the gang started to steal the doors, the furniture, the windows, the copper, I mean, everything. And all of a sudden, you're driving in quality, you're seeing all these places uh, without doors and all that, and the economy is going down, uh, nobody goes out. Of, you, you went out of work, and you go directly to your home, close the windows, close the chase, and stay at home. The, 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 the movie theaters were empty, the restaurants were empty, I mean, publics, the public parts were empty. I mean, the, it, it was like a, the whole city just, it was just dying. We had, uh, just to, for you, for you to, to, to have an idea, the way that the United Nations makes the, 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 the oh, <laughs> sorry. That's okay. <laughs> the way that the, the, that the United Nations measure the, the, the violence of a city is how many people have been murdered per 100,000 inhabitants. We had in Juarez, this is Juarez, the city, 229 homicides per 100,000 individuals. We were 11 times above Mexico, which we were having a lot of problems at the same time for the same reasons. Not as bad as Juarez, but 11 times. And just listen to this. We were, go ahead, we were 25 times above the international level. Just one city. So... I believe that if you want to be the ecclesia, we need, we need to learn to love our city, the people who live in our cities. Because if it's not about love, if it doesn't go out of love, it's just going to be one activity more. We need to get in touch. I, I always show this picture because uh, this lady that is in the floor, they just killed her husband. She cannot go and see what's going on. The husband had 40 bullets inside of his body. And you, we see, we saw things like this day after day after day. The waiting list in the, in the mortuaries were three months because there wasn't enough infrastructure to bury all the bodies. So they had to be taken care of uh, and, and, and piled them uh, literally in these places. That's what you heard. That's where, you, that's where, 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 where you're thinking, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm on Sunday service, and I'm talking, and I'm singing these amazing songs about victory, about the devil fleeing, about us having the power, about the gates of hell are going to prevail against us. And all of a sudden, you have this right in front of you every single day. This is a funeral. People don't understand. This, this was happening every single day, 15, 20 times a day. And this is when, when you ask these questions, is there hope? You think, is actually the Bible what it says is truth? I, I wasn't questioning the Bible by itself or the authority of the Bible or God, but I was thinking, uh, how does it work? Does it work in 2010? DC. We know it worked in the Old Testament. We, we read what happened. But this is this is today. These are machingas. This is this is drug cartel. This is uh, something that we are not. Uh, we don't. Read, we, we're not reading the Bible. And then one of the questions that hit me was, "Where is your God?" I was invited to one of the most uh, watched uh, news uh, uh, program in, in TV. 
And this guy invited me to mock our God. That was his reason. I knew later because he told me that. He said he, he's, he's not a Christian, and he says, I'm going to invite this guy, and I'm going to mock him in front of everybody. So, so he started very, you know, friendly. We were talking about violence, and what do you think are the reasons for violence? And we said, well, the first thing is that we have come apart from God. That's the main reason. But because of that, the family has been disintegrated. We have 60% of, of our home ho- uh, households in Juarez are led by a single parent, usually a lady, because the cowards of the men have left them with kids in order to go for another woman. And, and we started talking about, about you know, social factors and all that, that includes that. And then all of a sudden, we're talking and I'm saying, okay, I understand what the interview is about, and I'm, 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 I'm going to bring reality, and then I'm going to talk about hope. And then all of a sudden, he puts the microphone right in front of me, and he says, I have one question to ask you. And he said, where is your God? He, doesn't say, he didn't say, where is God? He didn't say, where is our God? He's, where is your God? The moment froze. I think it was a nanosecond, but it froze, and I, that, that question just started being, 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 being. Yeah, that's right. Where are you, God? I wasn't questioning his existence, his presence, his power, but it's been four years of murder after murder after murder. Where are you, God? And then I remember that we had a meeting. I, 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 I lead a group of pastors. We have about 28 pastors, and the main leaders of the main denominations are there. The, the three presidents of the three pastors' alliance are there, the largest uh, uh, church pastors are there and different leaders of different ministries and we together cover about 800 churches in the whole city and I invited them to a meeting and I said let's gonna close the doors let's, let's close the door and we're not gonna get out of here until we have answers and the answer is what is happening why is this happening and I said I did my job and I said we all of us and more pastors and more churches in the city, we have invested in the last 40 years. I did a study for 40, for 40 years. And I said, in the last 40 years, we have invested 4 billion pesos into this city. And that's a lot of pesos. I said, in 40 years here in Juarez, all of us together have done more than 25,000 public events in the city in 40 years. How come we have been assigned the title of being the most violent city in the world? What is wrong with that? We have done our job. We, 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 we're preaching the gospel. We're doing this and we're doing that. What is it wrong? Is the Bible something wrong with the Bible? Is something wrong with the gospel? Is the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary is not sufficient? What is wrong? And then we started talking and talking and praying. Three hours later, we came to the conclusion. And the conclusion was this. There's nothing wrong with Scripture. There's nothing wrong with the gospel. There's nothing that the blood of Jesus is lacking. The only thing that is not working is us, the church. It is our responsibility. Because who did Jesus give the keys to the police, to the federal police, to the army. He gave it to his ecclesia. Who did he say, gates of heaven, no problem. To the government, to the ecclesia. But we, the church, now we're understanding what the ecclesia is supposed to be. But we, the church in Juarez, at that time, we said it's the responsibility of the government. And we didn't own the responsibility that Jesus gave us as ecclesia. So we ended up by 
getting to our knees again and asking God for forgiveness. So what, what, when, when I'm at the TV station and, and, and uh, in that nanosecond I was transported to that meeting, all of a sudden I just kind of opened my eyes and, oops, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I have the microphone here. Thousands of people are watching on TV. And this guy wants to mock God. And I said, I turned to him and I said, can I talk to the people? And by that I meant, I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> I want to talk to the people who are watching us. And he says, yeah, go ahead. Like saying, what is this guy, guy going to say? And I said, you know what? That's the wrong question. The wrong question is not where is God? Because God has been here. God was here 2,000 years ago. He went to the cross. He died. So these things would not happen. The reason these things are happening is because we are the ones. The question is, where are we? No, it's where is God? And then I shared, you know what? I just had a meeting with the leaders of the evangelical church in Juarez. And we just came to the conclusion that we are responsible. So in their names, I would like to talk to you who are watching to me on TV. I would like to ask for your forgiveness because we didn't do our job. So I would ask for you to re- forgive us. We have repented. We're going to change our ways. This guy is holding the microphone and said, wait, 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 wait. Let me say something. And I'm going like, what's going on? And they said, you know what? I want to say something to you who are watching me. We also have to repent the media because we have put the, the, the pictures of the blood and the people without their heads and, and hanging on, on, on the bridges and, and all of that, and we were not responsible. So I would like also to ask for your forgiveness. All of a sudden, the both of us started talking, you know what, actually we all need to ask repent, ask for God to forgive us because it is our responsibility. All of a sudden, we're the ecclesia. <laughs> Ministering to the city through TV. Amazing things started to happen. I'm going to a prayer meeting with Transformation with our brothers and sisters from different parts of the world. And, uh, and I'm, we prayed because by this time my life has been threatened again. Because my life was threatened when, when we took over the prison. That was a direct hit against the cartels. And then... When this was happening, we were pretty much involved with whoever we could to do something about it. We didn't have answers at that time. We were learning to understand what God wanted, wanted to do. And uh, because I've been ministering to these people for a long time ago, uh, I would receive phone calls and say, Pastor, leave town. They're going to kill you. They already put a price on your head. This, some of these drug addicts came to my office that we, we've been working with, non-Christian yet. And they would come to my office and Poncho and said, leave town. They... they they're going to kill you. They already gave us the signal. In fact, I can kill you right now and I can go and collect the money. But I'm not going to do it because I know who you are and I know what you're trying to do, but leave the city. I would talk to my wife. And then you ask the question, what do you do? Do you leave the city? What about John 3.16? For God so much loved the church? No. For God so much loved the world. That he gave Jesus. Jesus comes, starts his ecclesia, so the ecclesia can continue the work of love that the Father started by sending Jesus to the world. It's a love message. We, we, when I started saying I was living the pastor's dream, that was my story. I was living for that. I didn't understand the first part of John 13. I understood the second part. So whoever who believes will have everlasting life. 
And we were preaching that. But we were missing the first one. For God so much loved the world. And the, 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 the ecclesia exists after that act of love in order to continue doing the work of the Father, loving the world. And I came to the conclusion by being in the 21-day fast in the park that I didn't love the world. I hated the world. Not in a bad sense, but I would speak bad things about the world. I would make bad comments about the world. This is wrong and this is happening. This is how come it's going to do? And then you, get, you put yourself in a holy position and they are the ones who are bad and you're good. And when God starts revealing all this through all these experiences, then you say, it's all about love. It's First Corinthians 13. You can do whatever you want, but if you don't have love, it's nothing. So, we started praying and understanding. And uh, being at this meeting, the Lord gave us a word to go to Juarez, go to a high mountain, and talk to the city. I never have done anything like that. But Jesus did. Jesus spoke to cities. Read the Old Testament and the New Testament, and God, Jesus spoke to cities. In fact, Jesus cried two times in his life, according to the scriptures. I, I believe that he cried a lot of times, but we have two in scripture. One, he cried for a friend. The other one, he cried for a city. The question that God asked me, when have you cried for your city? I said, I have criticized my city. I, have, I know the list of everything that is wrong with my city, but I never cried for my city. That was the whole process. So we came, we came to Juarez, and uh, oh, we're going to skip all that part, but uh, we went to a high place, and this is the actual moment where I stood up. Brian Burton from Thailand, we were in San, here in San Jose where we were having that prayer meeting, and then he, he said, I'll go with you, so he came with me. And, uh, and I talked to the city, and I, and I spoke to the city, and I said, what is? Jesus loves you. You're no longer an orphan. You have a father in heaven who loves you so much that he sent the most precious thing that he had, his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for, for you. So what is? Raise up. Believe. Help is on the way. Jesus already conquered death, and you're going to be blessed, and you're going to be blessed. And they start prophesying over the city. We ended up the prayer, and nothing happened that I would be aware of. But then what we did is, because this is, this is, the, way, this is the way I, I put it. Uh, well, uh, so we, we, we said, okay, I'm blessing the city. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the city. Let's go and adapt the city. And what I did is we went to the, to the mayor, Edgardo came, and Brian came, and we talked to the mayor, and the mayor... Uh, can you imagine his position? Well, the major said, Jesus, take over the city. I give it back to you so you would tell me what to do, not even being a Christian. We went then and, and, and we talked to the chief of police. The, this chief of police, the mayor, uh, uh, hired him when he came, because this mayor came exactly in 2010 when we, had, we were at the highest. The old mayor and the old governor uh, finished their term, and this was the new mayor and the new governor. So we went directly with the first one and said, don't worry about it. We're going to be praying. God is here. God is going to solve everything. Don't worry. If you don't have faith, that's no problem. We have it. God is God. No. And, and that's when he said, okay, I'll give the 
the city to the Lord. So we went to the chief of police. So he hired the chief of police. This chief of police lived in Tijuana. He was the chief of police of Tijuana. He did an, ex an excellent work, and he worked together with the pastors. The pastors prayed for him, and God saved his, time, his, his life five times. And even though he wasn't a Christian yet, uh, he was sent to Juarez because he was hired by Juarez. And, the, and the, the, the city representative from Tijuana calls me and said, Poncho, the guy that he's been hired, he's a good guy. He's an honest guy. He's not corrupt. He knows what to do. He's the, he's the man for the job. But he needs prayer. Oh, he said, oh, great. Is he a Christian? No, he's not a Christian. But he needs prayer. Lessons, lessons to learn. So when he comes, he, he comes, he comes to Juarez, the first week, I get about 14, 15 pastors. We go, we hug him. We say, don't worry about it. God is going to do a mighty job. God is going to use you. God is going to do this and going to do that. And he said, you know what? I know what I had to do, but I need you for you to pray. Because if you pray for me, I'm willing to risk my life, and we're going to solve this problem. And the city representative from Tijuana came to Juarez, and I, and I went like this. And I said, are you sure he's not a Christian? I mean, this guy is saying, I'm going to do my job, and I'm willing to risk my life, but you pray for me? We'll do it. Are you sure he's a Christian? He said, no, he's not a Christian. And I, and I was thinking, I want 10 of those in my church. <laughs> so we prayed for him. We left. Less than five days, he's driving his Nissan car. He didn't have a vest. The police of Juarez didn't have a vest at that time. He only had a shotgun. And he's driving with his, with his, uh, his, uh, his assistant, and all of a sudden he's driving, and four suburbans come and, and block the way. Four people come from every suburban you're talking about, 16, with machine guns, and they start. <laughs> you're talking hundreds and hundreds of bullets per second. The chief of police gets his gun, and later I was joking with him because I said, so, so what are you doing? You're going to pew, 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 pew. <laughs> <laughs> so he, 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 he got his gun, he started, you know, he started shooting, and, but his mind was saying, I'm dead. That's it. There's no way I'm going to be coming alive out of this situation. He said, all of a sudden, all these people stopped shooting, they looked to each other, and they ran to their cars, and they just left. <laughs> we, don't, we still don't know what happened. I have some guesses. <laughs> the SWAT team from heaven came. <laughs> and these guys went like this. Let's go. <laughs> the chief of police is thinking, I'm dying. I must have 30 bullets inside of my body. So he opens the door. He puts his foot. He's thinking, I'm going to go to the floor. And all of a sudden, he feels terms. And then he gets out, he sees the car, imagine a Nissan. <laughs> and then he sees the car and says, what's happening? He goes in front of the car, he sees the windshield, all these holes. And he says, wait a minute, I was sitting behind the windshield. So he goes back, opens the door, and he sees the seat where he was sitting, all these bullets. And he's going like, not one bullet. I don't know what happened, I don't have an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an explanation. I don't know if the bullets went through, but nothing happened, or the wellness went like that. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> the same thing happened to his assistant. Now, can you imagine a chief of police who's not a Christian thinking, if the pastor is praying for me, I'm invincible. I'm Superman. <laughs> 
and things started changing radically. We adopted the, the attorney general of the state, a member from the congregation. This is another lesson that we learned because this guy came to church. By the, by, by the way, um, when I handed out the church, the Lord told me to open another congregation. And we did, and now he's a part of our, of our congregation. And the, and the governor who won the election calls him and says, I want you to fulfill the job of the, of the attorney general of the state. Now, in Mexico, we had state procurators of justice or ministers of justice. We didn't have attorney general. This is the first attorney general of the, of the whole nation. And, and the governor was creating this new position in this context. And, and he was asking him to lead the state police, the, lead the prisons, lead all, everything that, that has to do with justice, which is an amazing job. And this brother, he, he, we, we used to joke him because he wasn't a brother, he was a cousin. <laughs> a cousin, not a brother. Because he would come to the service, and he would sit down in the back. He would go out, smoke a cigarette, then come back. And, and, and you know, he was there, but he wasn't there. Now, his wife, Belen, a general of intercessor, a praying lady. <laughs> He's retired, and then, the, and then the governor calls him. I want you to be my next. Now, he knew by accepting the job that he was going to be immediately, they're going to be a life threat in his life. They're going to try to kill him. He knew that he was going to have to take the family outside of the country and maybe not come back ever or maybe in 20, 25 years. So, all of a sudden, this cousin <laughs> wants to talk to me. I mean, we're friends. And so we talk and, and we pray. And we found out that the Lord gave a prophecy to his wife that God was going to do an amazing thing in Juarez and the state of Chihuahua and the whole world is going to know about it. And we never came to the conclusion that one of the key elements was his, her husband as the, chief, as the attorney general of the state. So after prayer and all that, he accepts he goes to, to Chihuahua City, to the capital, and when, he, when the governor is installed as governor, and he makes the, what do you call it, the inauguration, uh, he's there, and uh, he invited me and my wife, we, we're close friends of, the, of both of them as a couple, and after the inaugural finish, we went to his office, and he dedicates the office to the Lord, and he says, Jesus, this is your office, we're going to do things the, the right way, we're not going to get into a corruption, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, the, and then we prayed, and he gives the office to the Lord, and then he, he has seven uh, uh, people that help him. He talks to them. He said, my pastor is here. We just dedicated the office to the Lord. You don't have to do this. I know that this is unusual, but if you want to be prayed for and you want to do the same thing, come to my office and let's pray. All of them came. We made the same prayer. Then the general, uh, the, the chief of police of the state, which is a general of the army, he went to talk to him. My pastor is here. He the same thing. He came also and we prayed. And then, this is five minutes after he was in office, and then he says, Poncho, Angelo, let's go and have some lunch. And I'm going, no. <laughs> Two reasons. One, you have a lot of work to do. You just, <laughs> you just came to the office. And second, I don't want to be with you in the streets. <laughs> because I know how it feels. <laughs> I have enough problems on my own because when, 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 when my life was threatened, I, I was saying I loved my thought there, but, I, but I, we were talking. We said, what do you do? Do you leave town? I can move to the United States and live in the United States with no problem. Do you leave town, but you leave the city that Jesus taught you to love and love in a way that Jesus loves, risking your life? If I go, I will be safe, but can I be in peace with my heart? But if I stay and I'm killed, 
What's going to happen to my wife and my children? Is, is it? So we didn't know what to do. We learned a lesson that if you're doing what you're doing and the circumstances changes, unless God tells you something different, you keep on going. Because the circumstances should not direct what we're supposed to do. It's the voice of God that wants to lead us what, what we need to do. So we learned that. But, yeah, but, but it's not easy. Because these people are coming to my office and they're going to kill you. So what we did every day as we, I was getting out of my house, we would hug. We would kiss. We would pray. And I would say, honey, I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. If I don't come back, they're going to call you. You have to go back to the scene. You have to re- recognize the body. You have to go to the funeral home. And you have to do this and this and that. So we kissed. And then just left. I don't know how she did it because I was in the streets and I was doing what I was doing, going to drug lords and, and, and to the police and to everybody I could find, to the major, to the, to the police chief, to all of that. Very dangerous because you're in both sides, working with both sides. And, and, uh, and, and I know that I'm alive because I'm living it. But my wife is at home. She doesn't know where I am. She has a, an idea. But... The, the phone can ring any minute. And I don't know how she did it, thinking this could happen, and I don't have any control, and I don't know. I tried to send messages, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, and doing this. So anytime I came back home, we hugged. We stayed there for a while, we kissed, and we, we thought, one more day. Jesus gave us one more day. And we learn to live like that. So don't take for granted what you have in your home. Don't spend any minutes fighting. Enjoy each other in the communion of the Holy Spirit. Love one another. Enjoy your children. Enjoy right now. Because even though maybe your lives are not, are not threatened, we don't know what's going to happen next second. And I'm not talking about bad things, but it's life. So we learn to live like that. And uh, we adapted the. So we, we're coming out of his office, and we get into a, bl- into a blinded car, no, uh, armored car? Armored car, right? Into an armored car, and then two cars, two, two pickup trucks in the front, two pickups in the, in the, pickup trucks in the back with about... 20 bodyguards. We go to this restaurant with these people. These people get, get into the, in the front door in the back and everybody with, with guns. And you're eating. You're like, okay. And, and uh, while, we were, while we were coming out of, the, of his office, the phone rings. And the voice on the other side says, we have the first kidnap of the day. Five minutes. We were having about 20 kidnaps every day in the whole state of Chihuahua. And 93% of, of those were not solved ever. Before our brother comes to that place, so 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 he tell me, you know what? I have a report that there was a U.S. American lady that was kidnapped. So he he gave such and such instruction: follow the protocol, this and that, do this and that, and all of that, and they said, and, and maintain me informed. So so I said, you need to stay here. You need to follow through to that. No no, let's go and eat some lunch. So we went to have lunch. We sat down. We get in the menu to order, and then the phone rings again. And then I'm looking at the, at the attorney general, and she's going like, okay, okay, give me details. 
And then he hangs the phone. And I said, what's happening? He said, they found her. 45 minutes. And when he said, give me the details, the people who were on the other side said, I don't know how it happened, but we find her. There was one situation, another situation. It was lucky, it was whatever, but we got to the place. We came in, we shot some people, we killed one, we arrested the other one. The lady is safe. Now we're in the process of taking over to the United States. We already called the FBI and the, the, you know, the, the, the ICE and all of these people, and, uh, and she's safe. Well, since that day, for the three years that he was the, the Attorney General, all of the kidnaps were solved 100% with nobody dying. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but <laughs> you see how the, the ecclesia works? Yep. It's not that we have to plan a lot of things. We just need to be obedient. We just need to bring the kingdom of God to our area of influence, whatever it is. He trained these people before he took office because he had enough time. He trained them in Israel. So they were in contact with Israel because these guys are experts. And, and they were giving the reports and they say, you know what? We, we have solved about 40 cases of kidnaps and, we, we, and we're solving every case. And these people always said, nah, <laughs> that doesn't happen. <laughs> that cannot happen. 100% that cannot happen. So they sent a team and he stayed for two months. At the end of the two months, the report was 100% of the cases have been solved. And the only explanation they had, because they're, 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 they're Jewish, they know history, they said, it's like God. It's what God has done so many times in our country. This is supernatural. So let me just share the last, uh, when we went to schools, um, and then the last frontier was the sicarius, the assassins. How do you reach to the assassins? Because we were adapting everybody, we were bringing the kingdom of God, we were risking our lives. We, we actually, in the congregation, we canceled all the meetings, all the meetings. We didn't have any more meetings. He said, how can we have one more Bible study about revelation when we have revelation outside? How can we get together to pray, and we believe in prayer, when we need to be praying, but with the 12 families that somebody died from their family yesterday, and another is gonna, this day is going to happen another, another time, and tomorrow is going to be the same thing. How can we have a festivity of Valentine's Day and talk about love and these people are suffering? So reality hit us. So, so we, did, we did have our Christmas event and our Valentine's Day, but we did it in the streets to the most dangerous places in town. So we would go and we would do that. And, 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 and we were reaching out people. Amazing things were happening. And the last frontier was the Sicarios. The people who are hired professionally. So, so one Sunday service, I, I talked to the, to, the, to the congregation and said, we need to adopt sicarios. Now, we don't know where they live. They, 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 we don't have any address. They don't have faces. They're just assassins. And they're professionals. So we said, but that's not a problem. We learned another lesson. What we need to do in order to obey God is the what. The how, that's the Holy Spirit responsibility. But you see, sometimes we, we know the what, but we don't act the how, until we understand how. Until we have our programs and are having our computers and having all the... And I'm not saying that we should not be organized. We need to be organized. But talking about the will of God, we need to understand the what. We need to say, yes, Lord, and trust the Holy Spirit for the how. Read the New Testament. Read the Old Testament. Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. 
If somebody from the earth would know that Pharaoh would not let the people go because they were slaves and he was building his dream city, it was Moses. But he obeyed. And he learned while he obeyed the how. And look at history. I mean, the, the Red Sea <laughs> coming down. The, I mean, <laughs> manna coming from. <laughs> water falling from a rock. <laughs> You cannot organize something like that. You cannot plan something like that. Only God can do it. But he needs people to trust him and believe him. So, I'm in the congregation. I said, we need to adopt Sicarius. Don't worry about the how. That's not our problem. That's the Holy Spirit. He's the expert. We just need to obey. So, from, that, from this day on, we're going to bless Sicarius. And by that, we don't mean to kill more people and be more efficient in their jobs. <laughs> And, and, uh, and I said, Let, let's do it, and let's, let's start, trust God. So this is Sunday. Wednesday, Arturo, one of the most wanted because of the tons of marijuana that he was crossing over the United States, which in his previous life before Christ was caught, was in prison, uh, and then came to Juarez and became part of, the, of, the, of, our, of our congregation, and then he started working as an ecclesia. Uh, when he was in prison in the United States, somebody preached the gospel to him. The, the Lord asked him to reach out to the meanest guy in prison. There's always a meanest guy in prison, the one who controls everything. He goes and he has to be hitting and spitting and, and, and abused and all that in order to get to this guy. Preaches the gospel to this guy. This guy gives his life to the Lord. And for five years, he disciples him. It, it turned out to be that both of them came out of prison at the same time. Arturo came to Juarez and became part of our congregation, and this guy went back to the cartel. And he was a sicario. Now this guy is ahead of 80 sicarios. He has control of a small town outside of Juarez where he controls the police, the government, the mayor, everything. He's the, he's the patron. He's, the, he's el capo. So... Monday, Arturo goes into his knees, prays to the Lord, and the Lord speaks to him and tells him, I want you to go and talk to my son. He didn't say that, that backslidden traitor. He said, go and talk to my son and tell him that I love him and I want him back. So Arturo says, I don't know where he is. Oh, and then the Lord reveals to him that city. So Tuesday, Arturo gets his little car, he goes and drives several hours. He goes to this city, and then he says, okay, I'm here. But a tourist train, that's the what? The how? Sometimes the Lord let you know the how a second before. Sometimes he doesn't let you know. He just does it. <laughs> so, so he's there. He said, okay, Lord, I'm here. Uh, if I ask for his name, I can be killed. Because these people have hawks, that's what they call them. And they're in the, in the cities uh, looking who's coming in and who's coming out, especially small, small towns. When we were ministering, we would go to these small towns around Juarez. And I, I would have to train our people to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go, and there's going to be, there always had to be a lady driving. We would put our wives to drive. Guys, you, you cannot have a beard. You cannot have that glass. You have to cut your hair. You, don't have to, you cannot use a, a cap. You have to look clean, and, and we don't have to put more than two or three people. And as you go into these small towns, I'm training to, to, to watch out who the hogs are. And these are kids, these are teenagers, that they're just in the, in the corner, but they're watching. And the moment they see something that looks threatening, they will make a phone call. You will be tailed. If these people consider in their own judgment that you're a threat, they would stop you, kill you, and that's it. That's the story. They have killed so many people like that. There was a story of, of about eight or nine guys 
that came to a, to a for vacation, clean guys, they were having fun, and they were going, they were having, they were, they were driving a car, and they were going to this, one of these small towns. They thought they were members of the other gang. They stopped and they killed them all. Innocent people. So we train our people, and I say, when you go, you, you, you have to look for who the, 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 the hawk is, and you have to watch on the mirror. If you see that this guy does this and comes to the sidewalk or to the street, immediately you turn around and come back to Juarez. That's it. Because if not, you're going to be risking your life. We had to do that. So Arturo knows what, you know, he knows this. And so, so he gets to this town and he says, how am I going to get to the house where this guy lives? So the Lord says, the next guy that you see as you turn the corner, ask him. So Arturo turns to the corner and then he asks, hey, uh, I'm looking for so-and-so. He mentions the name. And it's like mentioning the name of Al Capone or whatever, even worse. And, and uh, so the guy, when, when he listens, he, he, he's surprised for, for the question. And then he says, what are you wanting for? And he, he steps back because he said, maybe he's the enemy. He's going to kill me. He wants to, to grab me, to take me, to, to tell him uh, where this guy is. But, but he says, where, where, what, what are you asking me this? What are you wanting for? And then this guy said, well, I met him in prison. Jesus sent me to tell him that Jesus loves him, that he wants him back. Just as simple as that. That's the truth. That's, that's, you don't have to, well, I'm a Christian. No, 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 no. And then this guy walks back again. He said, oh, I'll take you where he is. He's my brother. Now, what are the chances? Monday, Sunday, let's end up sicarius. Monday, he prays. The Lord reveals. Tuesday, he drives several hours. He gets in his brother. And he says, okay, so I'm going to take you where he is, but... If my brother doesn't recognize you or doesn't remember you, you're dead. And Arturo says, okay. So this guy goes for his car, and then he starts following. And as Arturo is following, Arturo is praying, let him remember, let him remember, let him remember, let him remember. <laughs> <laughs> they, go, they go to security homes. I don't have time to explain what security homes, but uh, it's, a, <laughs> uh, uh, it's impossible to get to one of those. The police never know what a security home is. So they go to this place, the first guard comes out, the second guard comes out, and then the brother comes in. And this is the head of ABC Carter. This guy was planning murders in Mexico and in the United States because we're in the border. So he comes out, and, and the brother says, hey, this guy says that he knows you, that he, uh, and he has a message for you from God. And you turn the camera to Arturo, and Arturo says, let him remember, let him remember, let him remember. <laughs> so they start talking, and, and Arturo told me later that it was a time that he was like, when, what, how? And he was, you know, his heart went like that. <laughs> so finally he said, oh, yeah, I remember. And, and, and then Arturo said, okay, I'm safe. <laughs> so, so he said, I remember. So, I, so he said, what are you doing here? Well, I was praying, and Jesus told me to come here and let you know that Jesus loves you, that he wants you back. Wait, 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 you came all the way from Juarez to tell me this? Yes, Jesus loves you. You risk your life to get to here to tell me this? Yes, Jesus loves you. And then I said, listen, I just came to tell you that's the message. You don't have to add. That's the message. And then he said, I just want to pray for you. Would you allow me to pray for you? Because we learned that. That's why we call it prayer evangelism. Because we talk to God before we talk to somebody. And then when we talk to somebody, we talk about God. Yeah. That's it, period. We don't have to bring all these figures and statistics and, and humanistic thoughts and all of that. It's just as simple as Jesus is alive and he loves people and he wants to save them. So he said, I just, just, just allow me to pray for you. 
So this guy says, uh, not here because I have eight of my guys. He had eight sicarios. They were planning eight more murders. He said, I have eight of my guys here, and, and, and this is not allowed. And that time he said, okay, that's okay. And then this guy said, wait, 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 we can do it, but let's play in the corner. So Arturo and this guy comes to the corner, and when they get to the corner, Arturo puts his hands over this guy, and as soon as he started praying, two cars come as fast as they can. They stop in front of the home. People with machingas come into the house, and they kill everyone that is inside the home. So this guy knows by the second Jesus just saved his life. Now, what are the odds? But you know what? It is his story. He's the one who controls all the details. You cannot even plan or imagine to plan anything like that. You just need to let you carry into his river and enjoy the ride and be surprised and be amazed. Sometimes I, I talk to myself, I said, and what, are you, what do you need me for, God? I mean, you're the one who does everything. <laughs> so this guy comes into his knees. Arturo Preson, he, he repents. Next day, he goes to his boss. And in this particular cartel, when, when you're in a high position, you know that you're not going to be able to get out of the cartel unless you're dead, period. And these people give their words about it. And sometimes they have more words than we have when we give our lives to Jesus. And uh, so he comes to his bus. The, the protocol in this cartel is that you take your favorite gun. In this case, it was an AK-47. And you give it to your bus. When you give it to your bus, your bus knows immediately what is happening. He says, he's done, he's out, and he gives me his gun so I can kill him with his gun because that's the deal, that's the word of a, of a sicario, and that's it, that's the end. So when he receives the gun, he says, no, no, don't make me do this, we're friends. You're a good soldier, that's what they call me. We're, you're a good soldier. You <laughs> Yesterday we were planning on doing this and doing that, and now you, you don't want to do it. So what's happening? So he says, well... A lot of years ago when I was in prison, this, and then he talks about what happened the day before and all that, and he says, I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. And I gave you my word. So go ahead and shoot me, kill me. But I'm not, I'm not, in fact, he told me later, I'm not willing to spend one minute in my life taking the risk to offend my God again. I prefer to be dead. And in fact, I gave you my word. So this guy says, uh, uh, when, when he listens to all that, the how, the Holy Spirit, touches this guy. And he says, you know what? I'm going to let you live. By saying that, now he has the responsibility to go to his boss and say, this guy left and I left him alive. Now he has to plead for his life to the other guy. That's the way it works. So he says, I'm going to let you go. But you know what? If you go and you do something else, you start selling drugs, you start doing what you do, and you don't preach that gospel, I'm going to come myself and I'm going to kill you. Personally. So I said, that's a good train to train our people. A good way to train our people, disciple the people. <laughs> Preach the gospel, I go and kill you. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> you know what? We're dead already. What are we talking about? We have salvation by grace in our pocket because He's a loving God. He died for our sins. What are we discussing now? What are we protecting? So I'm in the other phone, I'm in the phone, and I'm 
I'm in heaven. I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is great. Praise God. Oh, and I'm talking to Arturo. Arturo, thank you for your loyalty. This is great. And, so, and then Arturo said, Pastor, but we have a problem. No, we don't have a problem. This is amazing. Can you imagine how many cicadas are going to come to the Lord because of this guy? And he said, Pastor, we have a problem. No, we don't have a problem. This is great. Pastor, we have a problem. No, we don't have a problem. Pastor, he wants to come to church. Oops, we have a problem. <laughs> Two months before, a guy like that, not at that level, came to the Lord. Six months later, he decides to marry his, his sweetheart who came to the Lord too. And the Sunday that he was coming to church, all dressed up and the, and the, and the, and the, the wife-to-be, the family and all that, he's stepping into the church to take his vows. Sicarius came, came inside of the building and just killed them. They wounded about four or five people, Christians that... So I'm thinking, he wants to come. What if this happened in the sidewalk, in the parking lot? What if it happens here? What if somebody, bullets are flying and they hit my wife, any member of the congregation? And I said, you know what? Tell him, tell him to wait. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm going to have two disciples in, in a hole beneath the street. or I don't know where I'm going to, dungeon. I don't know what I'm going to find so we can... But I'm not going to bring him to the congregation. So I said, no, 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 tell him to wait. And then I, I, I went to, back to the Lord, which is something I'm learning. <laughs> Don't do anything until you consult the boss. And I went to him and I said, Lord, what, what should we do? Should we receive him? Should, we, do I, should I close the doors on him? Should I disciple him uh, and risk again my life again for one man? Is he true? Is it really happening? Or he wants out, and that's the excuse he's using. So all this, all this question, and, and, and again, an hour explaining the Lord, the situation, and all of that. And then another question. Poncho, did I close the doors of my church when you came to me? And I'm going like, no. But immediately I said, but I wasn't murdering people. <laughs> I wasn't a sicario. And then the Lord says, you were not? How many times have you read in my word? That if you say a bad, something bad about somebody, you're guilty of murder. How many times have you read in my word that if, if you are guilty of one commandment, you're guilty of all of them? And then the Lord starts asking me a question, and he says, why do you think you're better than him? Why do you think that your sin is less offensive to me than his sin? And the Lord starts bringing all these questions, and I'm going down, 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 again. That's the other side of the story, again, again on my knees, my front head in the floor, saying, God, forgive me. Another lesson. You see, we look at sins of other people and we become judgmental. We think they're worse than we are. And Jesus died for all of us together. No difference. So the Lord said, you're going to receive him. And if you die, that's a nice smell in my noses, my nose. If you die, you come into heaven with me. What are you risking? Nothing. So he's going to come if somebody dies. And then he says, the Lord told me, how many times have you read in my word that for me, for you to live is Christ and to die is gain? And I remembered, I have preached that verse. 
And I had to make a conclusion that I wasn't believing it when I was preaching it. So I was a fake. And now I have this in front of my, my face. And God is challenging me. So I had to repent for so many times as a pastor. I preached so many good messages. But I wasn't even believing them. I wasn't aware of. That, that's when I became more, uh, not afraid, what's the word, uh, temor? Uh, to, to have a fear of the responsibility that we have here. Uh, so I said, God, whatever you say. So I repented, and then uh, next Sunday I'm at congregation, and I said, you know what? Remember last Sunday we talked about adoptions and carries? Well, the first one is going to come, and he's a big one. I mean, it's a big fish. <laughs> and then I said, but, because, because this guy is where he is, and he laid out his guns, he's not on, on, uh, under the protection of his gang, of his cartel. He's a rabbit running in the city that they're going to come and kill him. Uh, they could come and kill him, and it happened here. And then I started talking, started talking to the congregation about the real death uh, possibility of death within our midst. People can come, and you have your five-year-old, your three-year-old, whatever, and this can happen. But this is what God told me, and then I shared from the Bible what Jesus told me in my church. People are willing to give their lives for their own brothers. The brother don't speak against anything against his brother. That's the church. And I remember he told me the word dreaming of, that's the, Im the image I had. That's the church I'm dreaming to have. A church that people are willing to give their lives for each other. As he, as God so loved the world. And uh, so I shared that message and I said, this is it. So I said, so, so he's, he's coming. He's going to come next week, maybe the other week. You're not going to know who he is. Because he could be sitting in front of you in the back. You don't know. This can happen. And if it happens, we go with the Lord. But we're going to die loving the unlovable. And we're going to risk our lives. But I said something that I said, but if you don't have the faith or the grace to handle this, that's fine. You can, starting from now, look for another congregation. I'll take, if you want to go any congregation in the city, tell me, I'll take you to the pastor. And that's fine. Because God is not going to ask you to do something above the faith or the grace that he has given you, because he has given each one of us. But if you said, I don't have that faith, I, um, this is way out, this is way too much for me, that's fine. No condemnation, no shame. That's it, that's, that's, that's fine. Go to another congregation, grow, and when God asks you for something like this or any other thing, just say yes, when you're ready, because you're there. So we prayed. The whole congregation was silent. Nobody spoke. We say goodbye. Usually we stay, and nobody stayed. We barely went home. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Next Sunday, Saturday, I didn't sleep. Sunday morning, I came earlier than usual, praying. Um, honestly, this is what I thought. 70, at least 70%, in my own estimation, 70% of people are not going to show up. You know why I thought that? Because I wouldn't have shown up. <laughs> Because one thing is that the pastor received this word and he's convinced and he brings the pastor to the congregation. Another thing, and the, we pastors are much aware of that, another thing is you guys who are sitting and are listening and, and you, you have the open space to think, 
Is that from God or is that from the pastor? Should I obey or should I not obey? Is this from the word of God or is it not from the word of God? Because when we come here, we come convinced that this is what God wants us to bring to the congregation. So I was thinking, if I would be sitting there and the pastor saying that, I would say, okay, that's for you. But for me, me and my house, we're going to serve ourselves in another place. <laughs> That's what I thought. And, and uh, so, so we prayed. We, we got the pastoral team together. We prayed. And, uh, and, uh, and we opened the doors. And the first, the first family that comes is about 35-year-old with a 5-year-old and a 2-year-old. And they come walking and they sit down. And I'm thinking... I don't deserve to pastor somebody like that. I was thinking, what was the conversation Saturday night? The wife was telling the husband, what are we going to do? I don't know. I, I'm willing to give up my life for Jesus, but we have young children. Yeah, I was thinking that if, if something happens and a bullet hits one of our kids... I don't know what the conversation was. The only thing I knew that is that they knew what was going on. And they were there, present, willing to risk their lives for somebody they don't know. And honestly, at that time, we didn't know that he was for sure. And then I can remember a precious lady, an old lady with her cane. And then she sat down. I don't understand. God's love is so big and so uh, incredible and amazing that he does something in our hearts. That's the ecclesia. That's what God wants to build. People so much in love with God that are willing to do whatever. So he would receive the glory and the honor. And we would be his instrument, his hands, his, his arms to hug people and love one another. And then another family and another family. Nobody Moved to another congregation. All of them were there. And not only that Sunday, next Sunday, the other one. The sicario came. Nobody knew. Then he started bringing his friends. We started having dozens of sicarios. The war in the street was, if you're a sicario, you want to change your life, that's the place to go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's his story. It's his story. Only God can plan things like that. Only God can do things like that. The only thing he wants and he needs is for us to say, yes, Lord. Let me close with this verse. Uh, uh, and, and then I'm close because uh, we have way. <laughs> can you put the verse Hebrews 2, please? Well, go back, go back. Uh, one. That one. No. <laughs> that one. Okay, stop. It would run by itself. The violence came down 90% in 18 months. Go to the next graph. This is the, the federal uh, police report. You see that flight, that, fl that red arrow? You see how it came down to 93% down? That peak over there, that's when we went to the hill and back to the city. 18 months later, it came down. Just to give you a, 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 a comparison, 
I talked to Mr. Rudy Giuliani, the governor of New York. I was with him in New York. We invited him to Juarez to give a conference. And I asked him, Mr. Giuliani, how long did it take New York to come out for the violence? Because it was considered to be the most violent city in the, in the nation, in the US. And he told me, eight years. I talked to Mr. Loluco Orlando. Loluco Orlando was the mayor of Palermo, Sicily. I was with him in his home. And I asked the same question, and he said it took us 10 years. Mr. Loluco Orlando it, right now is the spokesperson of the United Nations about, from, about cities of, of violence in the world. He sent a medal to Juarez, a condecoration saying what happened in Juarez, it hasn't happened any place in the world, any time in the world that we know of. 18 months, he said it hasn't happened. It was God. It was God. <laughs> yeah, okay. If we can go to Hebrews. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> just look for the, for the right, right there. Let me just read that, and I would like to close with that. And uh, I need to get closer. <laughs> this is Hebrews 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 14 and 13, 15. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that Jesus became flesh and blood as we are. So that by his death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And this is the second part that when God spoke to us. Uh, go ahead. Listen to this. And free... Those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, you can become a Christian and you can be slavery if you are afraid of dying. Not in the situation that we were at with sicarius and all that, but what about dying to ourselves? So I would like to close by asking this question. God gave this willingness to die, even though we're not in a hurry. But this sensibility of loving in that manner, and we're learning, we're in a process. But God has given us to us, and I would love to impart that to you. That you will see, okay, I want to be free of the fear of death. Not physical, maybe, but emotional, comfortable. So, as God has been calling you to do what you have to do under the leadership of your pastors, you would be one team. You would follow his instructions, his leadership, and you would go and take this city, this state, this nation for the Lord Jesus Christ because you love so much that you don't have any fears, not even dying to yourselves. So you can fulfill God's dream that none should perish and bring the kingdom to your life, your family, your places of work, school, whatever, your areas of influences, your city, your state. So if you feel that God has been speaking to you and you want to receive this by grace, you would like to stand up, I would like to impart that so you can take this by faith and let God do the rest because he's the one who does whatever he does and he does it. You want to stand your hands open wide right in front of you. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are. Thank you for becoming flesh. 
Thank you for coming to die on that cross as you obeyed your father for the only reason that he loved the world so much that he sent you. And you obeyed and you went to the cross. And you resurrected and you're alive. And now you have deposited your Holy Spirit in all of us. So you are alive in us. And we know we're going to spend eternity with you. But in the meantime, we're here as your representatives, as your ambassadors. And Lord, we know and you know how much we war against our own flesh, fears. And Lord, you have given us in Juarez because of your story, your history. You have given us by grace this freedom. So now I'm here because you sent me by being invited by Greg and Wendy, which we bless. And Lord, what you have given us by grace, I give it away to these precious people that are in a transition of understanding the power of your ecclesia and transformation and going to the end of the earth. But Lord, you want them to go free, free of the fear of death because you conquered death by dying. And we're going to conquer death by dying, not physically, but to ourselves, our flesh. So in Jesus' name, by his grace, I impart to all of you the freedom, the willingness to die, to follow him, for your lives to count for him and his glory and his honor in, honor in everything that he would ask from now on, that without understanding the how, you would say, yes, Lord, use me, send me. Under the guidance of the pastor that I have, God has given you, So receive, receive, be bold, be full of faith, be encouraged, be inspired, because if God did it in Juarez, in a much worse situation that we were living, by his grace, how much more he's going to do it with you, through you, in you, to this blessed country. To bring his presence, his kingdom, for his honor and his glory. So receive, receive, receive by faith. Don't worry about it. Just receive. The rest is his responsibility. He will respond. Way and beyond what you can think and imagine. But as we were, when we were praising him, we were giving him all. Well, now you just gave even the fear of death, of dying. So you're free to serve him, to love him, to love the world, to love your city, to see his kingdom come, 
So we would put a big smile on Jesus' face as we worship him and obey him in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more messages like this, please subscribe and thank you for listening.